Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week here in Battleground Wisconsin, which uh, is heating up. We are now past Labor Day and election season, general election season is in full swing. And we're going to talk more about that later in the show. Uh, we'll have a couple of state legislative candidates on and uh but before that, let's introduce our panel. Claire Zauke, our healthcare director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Claire, good to have you. Thank you. Good to be here virtually. Oh, it's great to have you again from your kitchen. And I'm from my son's bedroom. Uh, Robert Craig, executive director here at Citizen Action. Where are you from, Robert? <laughs> I am from my uh, new home office because I had to convert a room. <laughs> for COVID, probably keep it this way. And uh, yes, good day ever, uh, both of our digital and our radio audience. So folks, uh, Robert mentioned COVID and we are going to start by talking about COVID before we dive into uh, talking about the elections. We're gonna spend a couple segments talking about other issues. And uh, the big news this week around COVID was the Bob Woodward uh, videos around Trump admitting that he knew COVID was to quote himself deadly stuff. Um, and also right. Like knew that it was airborne and that somehow, you know, and obviously deliberately uh, misled the public, Robert, I'm going to kick it to you for some just thoughts on this and just so the broader context on COVID, but then I want us to dive into and uh, go to Claire for specifically what's happening here in Wisconsin and, and, and the continuing outbreak, uh, particularly in the universities. Robert, uh, your thoughts on uh, the news on Trump and just uh, the latest COVID? Well, there's an old adage that pride goeth before the fall. And here we have Trump who, because it's a big deal to be interviewed by Bob Woodward, because he does all the presidents, allowing him to tape nine hours with the man. So they avoided the uh, deposition by Robert Mueller, but how the heck does that happen? And then he can't help but tell him, yeah, yeah, I know how bad it is, but I'm not telling people because we got a lower panic. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it comes down to. Uh, and this is a hammer blow because we had the veterans hammer blow, but this one is different than the others because there's tape. So the White House can't lie about it. So they're back to about the only answer they can give, which is he was trying to avoid panic, which is what he said, which sounds like a public policy kind of reason. That's about all they possibly got. It doesn't explain why there was virtually no response and why he was attacking a CDC official uh, later who dared to say, to say publicly how bad it was going to be and how incompetent the response has been. Uh, whether it moves the numbers is hard to say. I would usually say this is too early, except that voting is beginning. And so this is influencing actual voting because of the mail ballot system, especially uh, a lot more mail ballots and absentee votes under COVID conditions. Uh, and, but we don't know. We have a, a system based on negative partisanship. That is, uh, Republicans hate Democrats worse than anything else, so there's nothing he can do, and frankly, vice versa, though it's more intense on the Republican side. Uh, so I don't know how much it'll move numbers, and they say that, you know, a politician like Bill Clinton had nine lives, at least, I'd say nine lives, 
he, he has, he's some kind of animal that has 100 political lives. So these last two would have KO'd most, uh, most politicians, but he's faced previous uh, KO punches of a Mike Tyson variety and, uh, and just, stood, stood, just stood there. So, the, and you see in the Marquette poll, which we'll get to, that Wisconsin continues to be a toss-up state. And so I would say that it's shocking. We kind of all knew this, those who are watching closely and those who don't know it and still support Trump. Maybe a few of them are peeled off. It makes it harder for Trump to do a comeback and make this all about the fake story about liberal rioters and socialists uh, going and, and, and burning down all of the cities of the U.S., including Kenosha, Wisconsin. So I think it does stall him in his uh, so far failed effort to make this 1968. So, Claire, the, the true reality, though, is this isn't some sort of trumped up situation. COVID-19 is very real and live. And this week, the big news here in Wisconsin has been that what's been happening on the college campuses. And I'm sure in other schools, we're just not getting all the information. But uh, tell us more. UW-Madison this week canceled classes for a week. And it looks like they're move, moving to virtual learning for two weeks. And potentially, this could be uh, for longer. Claire, uh, update on what's happening here in Wisconsin. Yeah, this is the big story all over the state, right? This is not unique to UW-Madison. Um, and, and I think is, I know, is something that at least we in this podcast and hopefully everybody who listens to it anticipated because we talked about this exact thing probably happening last week on our podcast and and about how um, you know schools were going to be a really big problem for bringing people together and um, becoming sort of super spreaders of, of a, a concentrated group of people not taking precautions catching the virus and spreading it really really quickly and that's exactly what we we saw happen so you mentioned UW Madison um, yeah UW Madison canceled in-person classes for two weeks uh, they full-on canceled no classes for September 10th through September 12th, which is a three-day a three-day window, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then they're resuming virtually for two weeks on Monday the 14th. Um, I can't believe that they think that they'll be able to just really believe that they'll be able to go back to having in-person classes after the 14th. I'm guessing that this is their sort of transition period and that we will see some sort of further announcement about how they expect to proceed moving forward. But the reason why this happened is because they had a massive increase in not just positive cases, but the rate of positive cases and their overall testing. They were test like when they were testing students on campus, it was something like 20% of students for several days was were testing positive. So one out of five students on campus. And in fact, it got so bad that they had to quarantine two of their biggest, largest, most populous freshman dorms. Um, and they had to quarantine all kinds of fraternity and sorority um, chapter houses because they all, uh, in, in Madison, if you've ever been there, there are Greek houses on Langdon Street in particular that are just massive houses where there's, you know, 40, you know, 40, 60 people, students might live, maybe not 60, 40 students might live together in a house, right? Um, and so, um, it's it's just very clear um, that uh, 
um, that the students were not taking the precautions they need to take. And I think it's um, a little ridiculous that the administration expected them to. Now, like I said, this is also happening in other parts. I'm sorry, I'll be fast. Um, UW Eau Claire, this exact same thing happened. They also had to put students on quarantine and they had to close six dorms or quarantine put on lockdown six dorms. And they've had over 200 students test positive as well. So this is not a Madison thing. This is all over the state. And if I'm, if, if I'm correct, if I'm correct, those Eau Claire numbers, that's like more than they had had like throughout the whole period that it's just been an explosion uh, in those numbers in, in that area. But um, yes, and we've been talking about this from the month over a month ago when we had uh, folks from uh, from the unions on right the teachers unions laying out that there wasn't you know clarity and just what a what a recipe this situation is for disaster. I can tell you my son is at UW-Milwaukee. They're headed for the same situation. There are parties that are going on. My, and and, and it's, it, these things are just ripe to spread and, and there's very little masking going on in a lot of these situations. So it's just, um, you know, uh, likely to happen. Robert, before we go to break, wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on this. Well, this is all inevitable result of both an incompetent uh, pandemic response federally and quite frankly at the state level as well generally speaking in most states uh, including ours though ours is better than Iowa for example which is now the, the new hot spot because we have uh, Governor Evers uh, but in, and in addition not even dealing with the repercussions of a terrible response so there's no way for people to, you cut off COVID relief, so people have to go back to work. Uh, people, it's, we're now clear that for a lot of people, school is simply a childcare center for dumping the kids. I mean, I'm talking about the business leaders, their parents don't see their, the kids that way. And so the parents are, feel that way and, and Trump and uh, the corporate elite that runs this country the plutocracy just sees this as essential to them making more money and getting going. And they're fine exposing all of the teachers. There are a lot of unsafe reopening plans for K through 12. The Most of these college plans never made sense and they were never extensive enough. You probably need mandatory uh, uh, two tests a week for these students. And uh, you need to be like uh, Northeastern uh, University in Boston which is an expensive private school, as many New England schools are, uh, is expelling kids for violating these norms and keeping their tuition, which is quite the uh, punishment for the parents. But that's the kind of thing you would need to do or go all virtual. Yeah, and so we have been talking about this. We'll continue to watch this uh, this this topic of schools and universities uh, trying to trying to stay open. But with that, we got to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about Robert's favorite topic, the Marquette poll, because it has a couple of interesting things in there that we want to talk about, including more discussions related to COVID. Uh, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about state politics and you know if you're talking state politics uh the marquette poll it came out this week and so everybody knows we always talk about the marquette poll well for one thing it is pretty much the only 
poll now that comes out regularly that gives us any kind of public uh, polling that's consistent over time. And uh, the one thing that I will mention is uh, that nothing's really changed at the top of the ticket in terms of Biden versus Trump. Uh, It's all been within the margin of error in the last uh, three Marquette pollings. Uh, But there are some interesting things going on. One being that certainly if we're talking about COVID, this is something that's very advantageous to, to Governor Evers, to Democrats. If, it, if it's other topics, it gets a lot more dicey. Um, but the biggest thing that I want to get the panel to talk about and give you an opportunity to bring up anything else you want is this finding in the poll related to the COVID vaccine that up to a third of Wisconsinites would not get a COVID vaccine. And within that number, it's 50% of Republicans. Claire? These numbers, <laughs> it's, I, I must say, it's a bit shocking, but not if, you under, if we think about what's been going on politically. Your thoughts, Claire? I have a, a couple of thoughts of things that might be going on here, and some of them I agree with, and some of them, or some of the reasoning I agree with, and some of the reasoning I don't. Uh, and uh, the first thing I'll say is to um, reiterate the uh, numbers that you said. Um, when the poll asks uh, whether people will definitely get, probably get, probably not, or definitely not get the vaccine, um, 76% of Democrats and um, about the same of lean Democrats, folks who said that they would um, either definitely get or probably get, and um, 54% of uh, only of Republicans said that they would definitely get or definitely not get. So, so that's about the spread um, that that Matt is talking about there. Um, so, I think that there's two things that might be going on. Um, one of them, um, which I, I will say I, I share a common concern with some folks on, um, that could be at play, is that there's not a lot of trust right now that the pharmaceutical companies that are developing these drugs are doing so in a safe way um, that are going to produce a high quality and effective uh, vaccine and that that vaccine will actually be affordable for folks. Um, And I think this has everything to do with the fact that the Trump administration is just throwing money um, at developing these vaccines without any sort of affordability guarantee. is making it exceptionally clear that uh, that he would like there to be a vaccine before the election because it'll be a ben- of benefit to him. Um, but of course, that means that um, that the development of the vaccine will be rushed, which means that you know people I think could reasonably be doubting if it might be effective. So I, I think there's a lot of questions around the the quality and affordability of a vaccine. So who I don't know how much that is in play in these numbers, but it's certainly something that I, as somebody who's following the development of the vaccine and is interested in the practices of the um, pharmaceutical industry I'm thinking about. Um, The other thing that could be at play here is that people still just buying into this rhetoric that the disease is not a really big deal and they don't want to believe that it could affect them, that it's, you know, it is that other type of person's problem. It is not a me type of person problem, whether that's because of where you live, what you look like, or how old you are. Um, so, So that could also be at play. Robert? So I think it's fascinating. I, I would have kind of made it a line rather than deeper in the news stories. And that is that it's Republicans, by and large, not Democrats or independents, who are going to be the refusers. 
So I would have thought that it's the other way around because it's going to be a Trump vaccine and that Democrats would be concerned about the fact that there's now an established record of Trump undermining the rules at FDA uh, with two different therapies that turned out to be lies and dangerous and clearly is making noises that he's going to pull a Putin and rush forward with a vaccine that hasn't been tested, which is very dangerous. You give a vaccine to so many more people that even small problems not detected through studies can cause, can cause deaths to thousands and even tens of thousands of people because of the, of the high percentage of people being vaccinated. And that happened with the swine flu when Gerald Ford uh, rushed one forward during the presidential election. Uh, it was he made it a big uh, election issue, so much so that uh, Chevy Chase in an SNL debate uh, uh, presented Ford, he played Ford, with a syringe in his, in his arm. In other words, he was all about a, a vaccine for the uh, swine flu. And, but it's not that. It's the anti-vaxxers. So it's the same, and it's the anti-vaxxers who are conservative. So it's the same anti-science thing that's going to cause a climate genocide that prevents us from doing almost anything in this society, which was generated by decades of propaganda along the smoking is good for you sort of lines by corporate America and by the fossil fuel industry and others in order to undermine public safety regulations and the role of government in our society. And so this is part of it in a bizarre sort of way. There even won't take a Trump vaccine. So that really says something, and it means they won't take a safe vaccine if Biden is president either. And this is going to be a major problem. If you have that many people refusing, we're going to have issues. And uh, I think our listeners should know the flu vaccine is now available. And it's critically important that people take the flu vaccine unless their doctor has directed them otherwise. Uh, there, there are some people who shouldn't, but most people should, because it's going to overwhelm the healthcare system if, if people are getting flu because the system symptoms will be similar and flu is dangerous and because you could get both at the same time. So this is an extremely dangerous situation. And I, let me just point out the idea that's going to be a vaccine that's mostly going to control uh, this virus is uh, not, a, not a fact in evidence right now. This could be somewhere closer to AIDS. So uh, this has been a great conversation and this weird dynamic about, you know, Trump pushing this, even though it appears his base doesn't really care about it. So it's interesting who is he going after, even though the other interesting thing that I think is at play in the Marquette poll that you see is topics matter, what we're talking about matters. And if we're talking about COVID and what's going on as a public health crisis, this is not good for Trump. And so like, I don't even think any of this terrain seems to be very good for him. Um, he is, and I hate to say this, but like, the only terrain available for him is stuff that seriously mobilizes his base. And I expect him to go back to that. And I think Evers wisely uh, came out yesterday and blasted Trump for being partially responsible for these numbers in terms of the sort of just the anti-government, anti-science you know, science that you talked about, Robert. And I just think uh, we see, still see this in the Marquette poll. Evers is trusted on COVID. I think Democrats clearly are now uh, trusted more, and especially with independents. And so, you know, I just, I, I find this all fascinating because it has a political, but then Robert, you mentioned and Claire, the, the public health implications of this, if we don't get vaccinated at those levels is, is frightening and what that means economically. 
so, uh, but with that, Claire, I wanted to give you one last opportunity to respond. Yeah, I, I think there's not much more to say. I agree with, uh, you know, Robert's analysis as well. And I think it's worth putting in a plug for everybody to also get their flu shot. It doesn't hurt that bad. And you don't want to get the flu during COVID times. Let me just add, we've already had a flu vaccine uh, by AstraZeneca. They've pulled the trials because they found a side effect. This is going to take time. And I got to also say, this is what there, there's a real attack on Biden now coming from the Trump campaign that he's going to shut down the country. He said if scientifically directed, not that he plans to shut down the country uh, and lies from Trump that somehow we've had not only the best COVID response, but the least economic damage, also a lie. Uh, but other countries are showing you can, can control and contain the virus if you do certain things and if you actually have social distancing policies, and you actually do make sure unsafe activities aren't happening. And we need to do that now, and we, still, we, 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 and we have needed to do it all along. I do also want to add that I wanted to get some, some shout outs, some props, some, some ups to Senator Baldwin, who became um, the Senate uh, original co-sponsor of the Make Medicines Affordable and Prevent Pandemic Price Gouging Act, um, which is a totally non-descriptive name for a bill that will um, basically try to bring some transparency, accountability, and affordability guarantees to the development of a COVID vaccine. So the, the version of the House and the Senate are both introduced. Um, we as Citizen Action are supporting it. And I wanted to thank Senator Baldwin for, for being a leader in trying to make sure that the Trump administration and these pharmaceutical companies have levels of uh, accountability and transparency and that um, we as her constituents deserve an affordable vaccine as well as one that's um, safe. With that, we're going to have to take a break. But before we go to the break, I just want our listeners to know um, we are tracking and are going to continue to watch the state legislative task force on policing and racial justice. Um, we share uh, all the concerns about it that uh, many of the Democrats have echoed, but uh, we wish uh, Representative Stubbs and others well in their effort to try and push these folks uh, through the task force. But we'll talk more about that in later shows. Uh, but we wanted to at least mention that that happened. Um, and, you know, obviously it's a product of the Republicans refusing to do anything. Uh, but we will talk more about that in future shows. When we come back, we're going to start talking about state legislative elections and critical elections. We're going to have a couple of state uh, representative candidates on from Western Wisconsin. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back the battleground wisconsin again we're citizen action we are going to spend the next two segments talking about state legislative races we are very fortunate we're going to have two candidates and our first candidate to join us is sarah yokum and she is running in western wisconsin assembly district 30 sarah thanks so much for joining us hello thank you for having me well we're we really appreciate it and uh why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about first of all, yourself, but then also where your district is and, um, you know, why you're running. 
Sure. Uh, my name is Sarah Yacoub. I am the Democratic candidate for State Assembly in Wisconsin's 30th Assembly District. Our legislative district is unique in that it is the only legislative district that is entirely within the Twin Cities media market. So that's a fancy way of saying we are a suburb of the Twin Cities. And uh, that's a, an even uh, fancier way of saying that we're very competitive to Flit Blue this November. I myself am a nonprofit attorney. I do no cost legal representation for survivors of trauma and working families within the community. In another life, I was a deputy district attorney and I've done some work as a public defender as well. I'm very centered in my faith. I am a mother of four boys and uh, really looking forward to getting to Madison to raise the bar on what it means to be in public service. Right now we have a representative who brings that bar down so low and it's been there for so long that people accept it as normal. And I'd like to change that. Uh, I really appreciate that you, um, that you had the guts to stand up for your community and say that, you know, the current system isn't working. Our current representative is not working. I mean, heck, look, we have a legislature that hasn't convened in uh, since the spring. It's now the early fall and we're in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, just have abandoned our constituents. So can you tell me a little bit about, um, you know, if you if you were to be elected and like, what would you do to hit the ground, to hit the ground running? What do your constituents want? What are your top priorities? Absolutely. You know, uh, if the Democrats retake the assembly, we'll have some control over the calendar. Uh, so I would join my colleagues in leading and having sessions during uh, a pandemic, during the civil unrest we're seeing with everything going on in Kenosha, so that we can start to address these issues and meaningfully move forward. Uh, the other thing I would do, you know, if we are to stay in the minority, is to host town halls, to let people plug in, to keep them apprised of what's going on, and to not sit quietly by, as my opponent is doing, while the legislature fails to go to work. You know, what's interesting is they're collecting a taxpayer-paid paycheck right now. They're on a taxpayer-paid vacation, and they've been so for, you know, months now, and this is the last time, or this is, you know, the opposite of a good time for a vacation, and, you know, fortunately, I think people are starting to really see that and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, I don't get a paycheck if I don't show up to work. Why are we, why are we tolerating this? So Sarah, uh, this is Robert. Uh, Ken, I had a question about your opponent, and I know you were not naming them, but um, I don't give them name recognition, but you could use their name once. I'm curious, aside from simply voting the party line and doing whatever Speaker Voss tells them to, is there anything at all they're known about, or are they completely a backbencher as the ones who do nothing and just vote the party line or called? I see you understand the game and the dynamic. Um, yes, so his whole game is I'm the nice guy, I'm the cool guy to have a beer with, I'm moderate, I'm independent, but then he counts on the fact that, you know, people busy living their lives don't have time to track how he votes in Madison and don't have um, the time to realize, you know, how extreme he is. So just one example, he spent last weekend fundraising with David Clark, the uh, disgraced sheriff out of Milwaukee. And we could talk all morning about uh, what a bad apple Sheriff Clark is and, and how um, reckless of leadership he is in his style and what he brings uh, in terms to law enforcement in the community. Um, but yeah, no, he's a rubber stamp for Robin Voss. Um, recently, we've had some solid media coverage regarding the fraud surrounding his out-of-district residence. Um, 
And what's, what's spectacular is it's all in his own words. So he has an LLC in Florida uh, in which he claims his out-of-district residence as his primary residence. You know, those filings are filed uh, with requirements to be truthful. Every single time he files something with the Wisconsin Election Commission, there are legal requirements that he be truthful, uh, getting his driver's license uh, so that he can vote. Every, you know, falsifying his address for his driver's license. Again, that's fraud, that's a felony. Uh, and then every time he votes in a district outside of his own, you know, it, it, that's, that's voter fraud. Um, you know, they can't call themselves the party of law and order if they are going to actively enable and empower and insulate uh, the fraud on the part of their legislative candidate. So, you know, he's been flying under the radar, but the more that comes to light about him, I, I'm hoping the more people are ready to raise the bar on, on what it means to be in public service. This is Matt Brusky. One of the things that, you know, you brought up them being on this, we're basically on a vacation right now, that I find most appalling and I'd like to get your thoughts on is, you know, tons of folks are not currently getting, you know, proper testing, treatment, and for COVID because they don't have access to healthcare and they know that, you know, that they're going to get medical bills, especially if they test positive related to this. Um, could you talk more about why the Republicans continue not to accept federal Medicaid money or not to consider things like, you know, a badger care public option where folks who are uninsured could have access to healthcare so we could actually properly treat, you know, go after COVID so we could actually have a functioning economy again if we prioritize healthcare? Could you could talk more about that? Sure. Uh, you know, I can't speak to why um, they're failing, whether it's a function of incompetence or dishonesty or just plain out evil. I can't speak to their heart of hearts. But what I will say is, you know, we're a community, we're a society that really works to instill the idea of personal responsibility in individuals. And it cannot be that the most personally responsible or financially responsible choice is to not go to the doctor, especially during a pandemic. And that is the system we've set up. So by failing to take the billion dollar Medicaid expansion, we're denying access to tens of thousands of Wisconsinites who are unable to get health insurance. And that's not just, you know, physical health care, that's mental and addiction care. So, you know, out where I am, our youth are struggling. They were struggling before the pandemic and the pandemic is only amplifying the struggles among our youth. And we're seeing quite a few suicides and we're seeing children, our young people turn to drugs as you know, they've always had, that's not anything new. Uh, but the idea that we're snubbing our nose or turning away federal money that would provide relief for so many in the community is just, it's inexcusable. You know, I, I had a WPR, debate with my opponent recently, and he made the comment of accepting the Medicaid money expansion is to throw away good money. <laughs> I'm, I'm going, really? You're, so you'll throw Wisconsin tax dollars at something like Foxconn, but federal dollars, uh, that's beneath you. And I mean, obviously, we, we saw some relief, not enough, but we saw some federal relief for the pandemic. Uh, you know, why is the Medicaid expansion any different? Why can't we accept that billion dollars, that billion plus, and put it to good use to really, you know, provide some relief to the people of Wisconsin? And then as a legislator, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to 
roll up my sleeves, work across the aisle, and figure out a way to make Badger Care not only a public option, but sort of a, an option for anyone who doesn't have access to health care. We need people to have access to health care. The system does not work. We do not get through this pandemic unless people can responsibly access health care. It's really that simple. Claire Robert, last question. Robert? Yeah, on healthcare, I'm glad you added that second part. Um, Badger care expansion, Medicaid expansion is a slam dunk uh, to anyone who's moral and looks at facts, right, and is evidence-based. Uh, but our system is, it's a bigger problem than that, right? We did a report in March, statewide survey, included every region, including yours, and uh, almost 50% of people have avoided some needed medical care because of cost and the vast majority of them in the last year and the vast majority of them are insured. So this is a problem with access as in having coverage, which has gotten much worse under the pandemic because if you lose your job, you lose your employer-based coverage, most popular kind of coverage yeah, if you're under 65. Uh, but in addition, people are not you going and getting COVID testing or treatment who have insurance because of the massive co-pays and deductibles. So we have a broader systemic problem with a uh, healthcare system that is completely unaffordable compared to any other country. In fact, Wisconsin has among the least affordability nationally, which we've been documenting for years. I, I absolutely agree, Robert. I appreciate all those points. And, you know, it, it, the tragic part of this you know, one of the struggles of being in the Twin Cities media market is it really provides a bubble. It provides cover for politicians like my opponent to say one thing, to create this false facade for himself come election time, and then be somebody else when it comes time to go to work in Madison. And, you know, I, I, I may be rough around the edges in my bedside manner, but I'm running for office to shine a floodlight on that and to let people know, hey, you know, this is what our representative is doing. It doesn't have to be like this and we can have better and I'm willing to fight for that better. And um, we've had past candidates that were wonderful, um, but they were really nice and they, they held some punches and they didn't, you know, talk about the fraud or his failures uh, really in a way that um, he had to respond to. And so it's refreshing that he finally has the publicity um, to have to face some of these things. And I hope this conversation can keep going. Uh, the more people are aware, I think the more uh, informed of an electorate we'll have and our, our public policy will start to reflect it. Well, we really appreciate you, Sarah, for running and for taking the time to join us and talk with us, but we have got to go to commercials. So we want to thank you. And we will have links on our site if you want to get involved in volunteer, help out, donate. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And with that, we have got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. Um, we are fortunate to have a second candidate running for state legislature in the same region of the state, Western Wisconsin, a very, very important part. Uh, Kim Butler is with us. Kim, you are running for State Assembly District 28. We're thrilled to have you. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Robert. Good to be here. Yes, I am just north of Sarah's district in 28, which is uh, Polk, almost all of Polk, um, half of Burnett, and just a smidgen of St. Croix County, 
about one township. So it's definitely a jigsaw puzzle, gerrymandered district, uh, traditionally rural, red, very small uh, municipalities, about a thousand to I think 3000 is our top area. And this is my second time running. I ran in 2018 against uh, my opponent, Gay Magnifici, and came out uh, with about 41%, which was many points higher than previous Democrats. I also outperformed a lot of the um, other Democrats on the ticket, including Governor Evers and um, Sarah Godlewski and Josh Call. The only exception was Senator Baldwin um, is very beloved across the state. And I also um, gained more Hillary voters, um, or narrowed the gap, I think, um, more than almost any other assembly district in the state at that point. So I feel like there's room for growth. And um, I definitely am running on the same issues that I did before, healthcare, jobs that pay a living wage, and making sure that our rural schools get their fair share of the education budget. So one of the big issues is healthcare. And it has been amazing the last two years how they admitted Republicans it was the top issue. It's why Scott Walker lost. But they spent tons of time promising that they were going to provide affordable health care. And then absolutely nothing. And we're in a pandemic. There are clearly people avoiding care who need to get care, even people with insurance. Because of all the co-pays and deductibles, people with insurance don't actually have full coverage anymore. And the result, and so the results are devastating. There's record polling numbers. It's a basic human right. Joe Biden says that. So it's not just Bernie Sanders' wing of the party. It's the entire party. And it seems like Badger Care expansion, Medicaid expansion is the first step, but we have to deal with the whole system. And I want to get your take on that. Well, I'm a 14-year cancer survivor, and I have two children, so we all have lots of pre-existing conditions. Our family of four buys private insurance because my husband and I own a small business, so we have had times had four, or I'm sorry, three insurance policies for the four of us. We're constantly juggling rates, switching things, and it's a mystery as to what's covered, what's not. I think there's a zip code prejudice. One time I looked up my rates if I lived in Dane County and they would be considerably cheaper than living here in Polk County. My opponent in 2018, her literature looked like that of a Democrat. She was making all kinds of promises about how she would fight for pre-existing condition coverage. And there was that lame bill that they passed in the assembly that sort of guaranteed coverage for pre-existing conditions, but not really according to experts. And now that just sat there and nothing's happened. Thousands of people in my district have no insurance. During a pandemic, that is immoral. Claire? I, I really like what you're, what you're saying. And I, what I'm hearing from you is um, not only about how important healthcare is, but how important it is to have a representative in the government who's actually listening to the people engaging in the community and um, is going gonna, is gonna to fight for what the community needs. And, you know, we've been talking a lot on this podcast about how, you know, the legislature hasn't met since the spring and how they sort of abandoned their responsibility to care for constituents during a pandemic. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the kind of, um, you know, representative you want to be and, you know, how you would be there for, for your folks you know, um, and, you know, contrasting with, 
with sort of the, like I said, the abandonment of the district in a lot of ways by its current representative? Sure, Claire, good question, thank you. My opponent has had maybe five or six listening sessions in two years, and I think that that is way too few. Um, I would definitely want to have at least one listening session a month when we're not in session, if not more, as well as having Zoom meetings and calling people. One of the things that I um, admired about former Republican Senator Sheila Harsdorf is if you called her office and complained about something, she would call you back at night and talk to you about it. That's how I think a legislator should act. Um, I'm not bringing Kim Butler's ideas down there. I'm going to Madison to represent the people in my district and to listen to them and speak in a loud, strong voice for them. And Gay has just been very timid. She votes, um, we've looked it up, 100% of the time with Speaker Voss. We have different districts. She's not representing our district. She's going along with what works for Southern um, Wisconsin. So I really believe that a representative is there to represent the interests and the will of the district, not their political party and not their personal views either. Robert? So can you tell us a little bit more about the incumbent? Are they someone who is a leader in Madison or are they a follower? And if they're a follower or a backbencher, do they present themselves that way in the district or do they just vote the party line? Well, my opponent um, comes across as a very nice woman. She's a former uh, nurse. She's a retired nurse. However, she's also a nurse who uh, doesn't believe in using masks. She thinks that it should be a personal choice and that it's an issue of liberty. Um, she's been, she was one of the people that was down in April at the Capitol protesting uh, for the reopen Wisconsin and people are mystified that a former health professional would be so um, Wrong on what is a you know public health crisis and following public health guidance She's as I said voted with Voss hundred percent of the time the bills that she's worked on are things like um, making Thanksgiving week national Bible week making um, it legal to bring your guns to church and renaming the Capitol holiday tree um, a Christmas tree. And with so many pressing issues like healthcare and rural school funding and special ed funding and um, getting family supporting jobs to this district, that's, those are issues are wastes of time. So she's definitely a backbencher. Um, I think that she's heavily influenced by um, some of the you know people in her life her husband former politicians probably speaker voss so no i don't see her leading in this district or in madison kim this is uh, matt brusky um you talked early on about your desire and the uh to create better jobs um could you talk more about that obviously this current pandemic environment makes this very challenging uh, given that we haven't even addressed the actual health problems, but could you talk more about you know your thoughts on you know your approach to what we ought to be doing to look to create better jobs, uh, particularly in Western Wisconsin? Sure, Matt. Um, first off, I don't think that anybody that works forty hours a week should live in poverty in this country. That's just absurd to me. And we've seen with the pandemic and our essential workers and our frontline workers, these people are putting their lives on the line, risking their lives 
getting uh, infected, possibly bringing home COVID to their families for less than 15 an hour. So I think at minimum, we need to pass the $15 an hour uh, law here in Wisconsin. I've read the bill. I see how it gradually brings in the wage in the hopes that the economy will also grow and that will allow businesses to be able to afford to pay that wage. I could also see offering incentives or tax cuts to the much smaller businesses for which a $15 an hour jump might be a problem. Um, the other thing is we have to expand broadband. The way that we have put uh, dollars to broadband compared to say Minnesota, I think we've spent about a quarter of the amount of our neighboring state, Minnesota, on expanding rural broadband. And it's just not enough. I've talked to people who say they have to get up at 1.30 in the morning to upload their business data on the internet because their um, service is so throttled. And you know, tons of people, I have constitu constituents, not yet, I have um, friends in the district who can't participate in our Zoom calls because their internet is bad enough. You know, we're an hour and a half from the Twin Cities. We're two hours north of Eau Claire. We should not be living in the dark ages here, and it gets even worse as you go farther north. So I think we need to approach this like we did with the Rural Electrification Project or the Tennessee Valley Authority, where it's a public or a public-private option where we take the money away from the, um, the cable companies that are kind of raking in the dollars and not doing much. We've uh, given money to a lot of low-hanging fruit in the district, and people are still not getting the kind of service they need, which is made even more apparent by the push towards virtual learning. We have a ton of students who have no internet access here. So bringing internet access would allow people to telecommute, to work remotely from the Twin Cities or from Duluth. And um, also we need to attract more businesses here. And that gets into probably another 10 minute conversation that um, concerns affordable housing and good schools and making the area attractive with trails and natural resources. Um, so I won't go into that, but well, in a nutshell, that's that. Kim, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your vision. And it's very clear, like the fundamental differences you believe that we need to use our democratic government to solve some of the most pressing issues that we face. And, you know, your opponent, the opposition is pretty much ducked and covered. And so we really appreciate you laying that out um, and wish you the best. Thank you so much for joining us, Kim. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Well, and with that, and by the way, folks, we will have both contact where you can contact uh, Kim at, how you can volunteer or donate to Kim's campaign on our website. Please check that out if you want to get involved. But with that, we have got to wrap up this battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action, and we want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge. Makes it happen every week. Thank you, Brian. In these challenging times, you make the show still work. We'll see you next week the Battleground, Wisconsin.